Amen. That was good. So, it snowed. Ooh, I love snow. Most of the time. Most of the time. I like uh, the, the, the blanket of snow as long as it's not blanketing the roads or my sidewalk or my driveway. Women are laughing and men are saying amen. <clears throat> but it's so pretty, the snow is. I mean, when it's just, Jeanette and I had to drive into Omaha yesterday and on the way up there, it's just the rolling hills of white. It's just so pretty, Right? Some of you guys are looking at me like, where are you from? Oh, no, here we go again. Okay, just some people have already heard me say this, and so I'm going to make sure that everybody gets included in this. Okay, so pay very close attention because this, this, this has been said in the last week probably about four different times. He's from the South. I'm not from the South. Just so you guys know, I am not from the South. I lived in the South. But I spent more time in Washington State than I did in Georgia. So unless you consider Washington State the South, I am not from the South. So, it's south of Canada. There you go. I am, I'm from South of Canada. But aren't we all? So if you notice, Jeanette's not here. She's usually sitting right there. So I don't have to wrap up by 1130. Um, no, just kidding. Uh, she has not been feeling good. And um, so, and in fact, if, if you look around, you notice that there's a lot of people who normally here that aren't here. I, I received, just in the last uh, three days, I have probably received texts from five different families telling me that, they are, they, they got, they're sick. And you know, nowadays, when somebody says they're sick, what's the first question you ask them? Can you smell or taste? That's the first question that comes out of, uh, of people's mouths. But, um, <clears throat> you know, so be in prayer for everybody. Uh, this is the time of year where people, the flu goes around. And we have been inundated with, COVID, 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 when somebody catches the flu, oh, that's not a big deal. Well, it is if you're the one catching it. Um, <clears throat> so keep people, you know, in, you, in your prayers. And, but uh, Jeanette's not here. And, <clears throat> you know, she works for State Farm. And, uh, well, let me rephrase that. She used to work for State Farm. So she worked for an agent. Um, his name is Jason in, in Georgia. And there were some issues with State Farm, that State Farm had with how he was handling things. Now, he was doing everything above board, but they saw some things and misinterpreted what they saw. And through the course of an audit and other things, they, they, they cut his contract and says, uh, you can't work for State Farm anymore, or you don't have a contract with State Farm anymore. And so they told him that on Monday and said, Tuesday evening at midnight, your aliases, what you used to log into the State Farm Corporation, is going to be invalid. So Jeanette found out Monday morning that by Tuesday evening, 
um, she would no longer have a, have a job for Jason. And um, I told her, I says, you know, because when she first found out about it, um, it, it really shook her. Um, and I, I reminded her that I'm not fired from my job yet, so we still have a source of income. God has been very gracious to us. Um, it's, I mean, and so it's not like, and she has another part-time job. For those of you who know, she is a receptionist at the church. Um, so it's not like it's the end of the world, but it took her by a shock. And I'm not, I'm not the most compassionate guy around. I, I, I try to be, even with my wife, I try to be, but I fail miserably. Uh, because that same day that she found out, Pastor Crystal came into the office, and I guess they had communicated what had transpired. And the first thing Pastor Crystal did was go over there and give Jeanette a really big hug. I wish I would have thought of that. You feel my pain? Thank you. <laughs> um, again, God has everything under control. I'm not, I'm not worried. I'm not concerned. Um, Jason, the State Farm agent she used to work for, um, was not a really big agent. Um, and so uh, it, it, within a week of her finding out about this, most of the people who had worked for Jason had already found other jobs. Well, Jeanette, being a remote worker, not working from the office, it's a little, a little more difficult to find a job and so, you know, there was a little bit of a concern. Well, one of her co-workers, Mark is his name, um, Mark was kind of the second in charge of the office. Now, <clears throat> it's a little confusing because Jason is only, uh, Jeanette has only worked for Jason since the beginning of the year. So in January of two, 2020 is when she started working for Jason. Um, before working for Jason, she worked for Scott, Scott Foster State Farm. And the thing about Scott is that he had a huge State Farm agency. In fact, he was, uh, he was consecutively in the top ten of State Farm agents in the nation. So, I mean, he had a huge, and Jeanette worked for him for like four or five years. Well, in fact, he, and, and, and this is just to go... Just to show you that it's about who you know. So, you know, he ha Jeanette hasn't worked for Scott for a year because he retired. And um, Scott found out that uh, Jeanette had not um, been contacted by any State Farm agents and didn't have any leads to a, to a job. And so uh, Scott, Scott found out about this and, and actually calls Jeanette. Now, you, you know, you're dealing with somebody who, who is huge in the State Farm arena, okay? And he's calling my wife. And he calls her up and, or, or texts her or something like that and says, hey, I tell you what, just, just wait a minute. Let me make some phone calls. That was yesterday morning. By yesterday afternoon, he had called her or texted her back. I'm not sure which one it was. Um, it says, hey, there are four agents that want to talk to you. It's about who you know. If you know somebody who knows a lot of other people, guess what? 
things can go well for you. But if you don't know anybody who doesn't know anybody, like, like me, um, you got to work and you got to scratch and you got you to fight just to get known. You know, it, it, it was like that in the, in the, in the um, entertainment I- industry before social media came into play. When social media came into play, um, it, it completely changed because a, a nobody can send their stuff out on social media and be seen by millions of people. But before social media, it, you could have all the talent in the world, but if you didn't know the right people, you wouldn't get noticed. And so we have this idea that it's about, it's a, it's a lot of it is about who you know. And that translates oh so nicely into the story of God. Because with Jesus, guess what? It's about who you know. It's about who you know. We're going to look at a, a, a passage of scripture, one that is very familiar to most of us. Maybe not the whole passage we're going to be reading, but at least part of it. Isaiah chapter 9, we're talking uh, we're in the midst of a series called God's Messenger, specifically talking about the prophets. Um, and we're talking about the prophet Isaiah. And Isaiah was, was, he was a unique individual because he was somebody who had access to the throne room. And I'm not talking about the throne room of God, I'm talking about the throne room of the kingdom in which he lived. He, he could have direct access to the king. Many of the prophets didn't have that. But he did. And he prophesied in a time where, um, well, Judah was, was suffering. It had been that Judah was, was under, uh, under King Uzziah. We talked a little bit about this last week. He said, um, in the year King Uzziah died... I saw the throne, Isaiah speaking, I saw the throne in heaven, and the one sitting on it was high and lifted up. So King Uzziah, if you remember your history, was a great king, a godly king, and, and 50 years of peace. And now this king dies, and, and Isaiah is prophesying some, some interesting things. The first five chapters is all about the doom and gloom. And so... Um, when we get to chapter 9, we start reading chapter 9, it's important to note that chapter 8, Isaiah is preaching doom and gloom again. He's saying, oh no, bad things are going to happen. Assyria actually is going to come and, and put you under its thumb. And that is where we start reading. Assyria is going to come and put you under the thumb. And then he says this, nevertheless... That time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. So this, this oppression that you're going, to be, you're going to be feeling is not going to go on forever. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali will be humbled, but there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles. Now if you know anything about New Testament, Galilee of the Gentiles, Galilee sounds pretty familiar, probably because that's where Jesus was. Which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea. 
will be filled with glory. So this area where Jesus was is going to be filled with glory. But it's going to be sometime in the future. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in the land of deep darkness, a light will shine. I mean, how, how much more clear can you get about who this, how this is going to happen? The land of Galilee, glory, a light's going to shine. You will enlarge the nation of Israel and its people will rejoice. They will rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest and like warriors dividing the plunder. For you will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. You will break the oppressor's rod just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. The boots of the warriors and the uniforms bloodstained by war will all be burned. They will be fuel for the fire. This is giving, this is giving you a picture of what it's going to be like. The idea of, of your uniforms bloodstained by war will be burned and your, your boots will be burned means it, it, it's, an, it's the idea that there's not going to be need for them anymore. So go ahead and just throw them in the fire where war has ended. It's also interesting that he, he, he comments um, about Midian, the army of Midian. If you remember history, back when we talked about the judges, the army of Midian came up against the great man um, Gideon. And Gideon defeated them. With a few men. In fact, if I remember correctly, which I, I do, he didn't have to do a whole lot of fighting to win that battle. So it's, he's setting a picture here of, of what it's going to be like. And then he says something amazing. Verse 6. For a child is born to us. A son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. How many people have ever heard that one before? Verse 7. His judgment and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. Now we've, we've read that, that, those, those two verses, specifically verse 6, many times, and, and we've, told, we've been told what it means. Now I do have to tell you that there are some people who don't believe this refers to Jesus. How many people have ever heard that there are people who believe that this does not refer, refer to Jesus? Anybody ever hear that? And you know why they say that? Two main reasons why they say that. One is because in the Greek, the Greek verb used there is, um, means it, 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 it infers that something had happened in the past. So it's not saying for unto us a child is born, but more for unto us a child has been born. And so they use that. As the idea that this is, can't be Jesus because Jesus hasn't been born yet. They also pull out um, one of the terms in verse 6, everlasting father. Well, Jesus isn't 
the first person of the Trinity. So why would, why, how could this re, refer to Jesus if Jesus wasn't really the everlasting father? He's the son. And so they use those two ideas to let you believe that that is not referring to Jesus. Well, first of all, it's important to understand that while Jesus' birth was put in, in time, it, it was from the beginning of all creation. So it could very easily to use the, the, the past tense of he was given to us because his birth transcends time. And as far as the idea of everlasting father, they do have a legitimate uh, a legitimate, what's the word I'm looking for? Case, I guess. They have a legitimate case as to why this might not refer to Jesus. But that could just be the idea of a person who will never leave. An everlasting father. A father, the, the person who cares for you, the person who meets all of your needs, the person who raises you, raises you that person, that individual, is always going to be there. Everlasting Father. So why do I believe that they do refer to Jesus? If those, if those things. Well, two reasons, really. First, in verse 7, it says, His government and His peace will never end. There's only one person that I know of whose government and peace will never end. That's Jesus. The other thing is that in verse six, 7, it says, he will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The only one person I know of who's going to sit on a throne for all eternity. And it talks about David's throne. It's important to know, David was the king before the, north, the northern tribe and the southern tribe split. He was the king of a united Israel, not a divided Israel. And that's who Jesus is going to be. He's going to be king of all, not a divided Israel. And so <clears throat> it's, it, it, people will make comments and they will say this, but, it's, it, but it, the important thing to understand is that this is going to happen because of the passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's army. Who is the Lord of Heaven's army? Jesus. Jesus. That's who it is. There's, I, don't, don't, I understand how people can come up with these things. But here's what I think that I've found. And it happens in everything we read. And that we put our own prejudice into things when we read them. So I'll, I'll give you an example. For those of you who like to read news, would, do you enjoy reading news that supports your ideas? Or do you like reading news that opposes your ideas? Listen, you like reading stuff that supports your ideas. That's, that's a, I don't care whether you're a Trump fan or not. Whether you like Trump, whether you hate Trump, whether you're indifferent about Trump. I will tell you this. If you like Trump, every positive thing you read about Trump you're more likely to believe than the negative things you read about Trump. And if you don't like Trump, the things you read that are negative about Trump, you're more likely to believe than the positive things. 
That's the way it is. And we, we do that, people do that with the Bible. Those people who believe the Bible to be true look at it from a perspective that is different than those people who look at the Bible and don't believe it's true. Or are suspect at the very least. Now I believe that when we give our lives to Jesus and we ask him to infill us with his spirit, his Holy Spirit gives us the ability to, to believe and understand things that those who don't have the spirit of God cannot believe and cannot understand. All of this to say that there was a child in history that was born that fulfilled this prophecy. He was from Galilee. In fact, he did his first ministry in Galilee. They were the first ones to benefit from his ministry. He's a wonderful counselor. He's a mighty God. He's the eternal father. He is the prince of peace. And it will not end. And some people might say, well, what's this whole idea of the government will rest on his shoulders? And that's a legitimate, um, a le legitimate question. What does it mean by the government? Does that mean that he is going to uh, take away our existing government and give us a new government? It would be nice if, if all of our faulty human uh, leaders were replaced with perfect leaders. That would be nice. I would love that. You know what we call that place? Heaven. Okay. We're not there yet. I, I sure hope we're not there yet. We're not there yet. Trust me. When we get there, that's what heaven, that, that heaven is going to be like. The one making all the decisions is perfect. We just got to push on, push on, and push on. But the government being on his shoulders is the idea that he will fulfill his place as, as ruler. And so his place as ruler is not to govern the world in which we live in. Satan gets that right. The prince of darkness, he's the one who, who gets to rule this earth that we now live in. But only as far as God allows him. It's important to understand that because we, we can get out of hand thinking, oh, well, Satan's, Satan's having his way on this earth. Well, no, Satan's not having his way on this earth. He's going to do some of what he, he does because God allows him. But there are some things that God does not allow him to do. We read that in the book of Job. God protects you from some of the things that Satan wants to do to you. It's important to know that. But our eternal home, the government in which Jesus will reign and rule on, is the eternal. And that should give us hope. That should give us excitement. Because all of the suffering and all of the pain and all of the, the, the bad things that happen to you right now, or in the future, or has happened, none of that will happen when we get to heaven. So, how do we get to heaven? I mean, it would be great 
it, it seems like heaven's going to be a perfect place. So don't you want to be there? How do you get to heaven? Well, as I said before, it's all about who you know. It's all about who you know. And the question that, that comes up is how do you know you know the right person? In fact, what does it mean to know? I have, I have a cousin, um, and, I, and I know some other people like this too, who, who have just a steel trap when it comes to their mind. You tell them something, and they never forget it. I forget how old I am. That tells you what I know. I keep telling everybody I'm 26. I'm not. I'm 28. My mind is not a steel trap. Things go in and easily get misplaced and don't stay there. But there are some people whose who minds are steel traps. And they don't forget anything. In fact, they know so much that they can, they can list useless information for hours on end. And, and I have a cousin who is... Who's, pretty involved in politics, and he can, he can tell you facts that seem just crazy about President Trump. I mean, fact upon fact. He could do that with, with most of the presidents, in fact. But does that mean he knows them? I say it's about who you know. Does that mean he knows them? Well, probably not. If you were to go ask any of the presidents who've ever been alive, who, who William is, they're probably going to say, William who? I'm not going to use his last name because I don't want him to. He's an extreme atheist right now because he grew up in a church, same church I grew up in. He grew up with Christian, fam uh, Christian family, was taught the Bible. In fact, in high school, he knew more about the Bible than I did. Remember that whole thing about things not getting stuck in here for very long? I'd learn something and I would lose it. He didn't. He knew all of this information about the Bible. All of the answers that you were supposed to give in Sunday school, he had the answer to those questions. And now he doesn't believe in God. Facts don't mean a whole lot when it comes to knowing somebody. That's knowing about somebody. That's not knowing somebody. And so it's, it's not just about who you know. I guess it's more about who knows you than it is about who you know. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, um, verse 2 and 3 says, Anyone who claims to know all the answers doesn't really know very much. You know somebody like that who, who's really, really smart? But clueless, that's kind of what it's saying here. And then it says in verse 3, but the person who loves God is the one whom God recognizes. The person who loves God, and, and this is what the NIV it says, the one who loves God is the one who is known by God. It's not just about who you know, it's about who knows you. Which leads to the next question, 
well, how do I, how do I get known by God? Right? If, if it's a matter of God knowing us, how do I get known by God? Well, that seems like a stupid question. Right? Does not God know everything? So wouldn't he know you? I, th- I think the, the, the best idea behind this isn't just knowing, but being intimate with. Those of you who, who read the King James Version, uh, and, and um, <clears throat> when it talks about sexual intimacy, the King James Version has a word, know, to describe that. And, and Abraham knew his wife. That doesn't mean he was familiar with his wife. It means exactly what you think it means. It means that they had sexual knowledge of each other and had sexual intercourse and then this baby was born. That's the idea. Why did they use the word no? It wasn't just he recognized her or she recognized him. It was a, there was an intimate, it was, it was partly their way of not being, quote-unquote, crude in the Bible. That was one way. There were certain things back then that you didn't really talk about in public. And, and so that's one of the reasons why they used that word. But the idea was it was more than just recognizing somebody. I can go down to the grocery store and see somebody that has come to my church, come my church, come to our church, a couple of times, but not really a regular, and I will recognize them, but I don't know much about them. I know that I've seen them sitting in the chair once in a while, or, or some of the people have talked about them, but do I really know them? The more time you spend with somebody, guess what? Chances are the better you're going to know them. I could tell you a lot about Jeanette. I spent a lot of time with Jeanette. I can tell you a lot about Eli. Spent a lot of time with Eli. I can tell you a lot about my parents. Spent a lot of time with my parents. Can't tell you much about President Trump or soon to be or President elect Biden because I really have not spent much time with them. I can tell you what I've read about them. I can tell you uh, what other people think about them. But, and I can tell you what I think they believe about things based on what I've heard them say. I recognize them when I see them. I even recognize them when I hear them. But do I really know them? The person who loves God is the one whom God recognizes, is the one who God knows. And our, pr- our love is proven when we are recognized by God. Our love is proved when we are recognized by God. When, when there is no love for God, there is no recognition, intimate knowledge. When we are known by God, we become his friends. We can actually say... I am a friend of God. What is it? How do we get there? How do we get to that? I am a friend of God. 
We all have friends, and I'm not talking about Facebook friends. Listen, let's be honest. If you have 500 Facebook friends, in reality, you only have two real friends. Because let's be honest, Facebook friends are not real friends. Um, they're just people you know. I mean, you recognize them when you, when you see their picture, but you couldn't, say a whole, you couldn't tell a whole lot about them. I watched a movie a while back, and this is a pretty old movie. I think, I'm not sure, the name of the movie was Green Card. And it, it was about, um, if I remember correctly, it was about a, a foreigner who wanted to get a green card to be able to live in America. Um, but it was difficult. And so he was going to marry this woman so that he could come to America and stay in America. And uh, one of the things that, that, was, that was put throughout the movie was to prove that he um, really was marrying her apart from just getting into the country. One of the things that they did was they asked him how she liked her coffee. Well, nowadays that won't work because the lady down at Starbucks knows how I like my coffee. I mean, that, that doesn't really amount to a whole lot nowadays. But the idea was that there was intimate information that you knew about that person. What kind of intimate information, what kind of intimacy do we have with Jesus? Are we Facebook friends? Do we recognize him every time he posts something? Are we friends from a distance? You know, most of your Facebook friends are friends from a distance. I have people I went to high school with that every once in a while will comment on a post I make, and every once in a while I'll comment on one of their posts. They're, they're distant friends. Sure, I spent time with them. Most of them I spent at least four years growing up with them. Is that, is that our friendship with God? Is that our friendship with Jesus? Hey, God, how you doing? It's good to see you. Hey, I'll see you, I'll see you this time tomorrow. Is that, our, is that our relationship with Jesus? Because it is, that is not, you, you are not somebody who God recognizes. Matthew 7, verse 21 through 23 says this. Not everyone who calls out to me, and Jesus is talking here. This is Jesus talking. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, Jesus will tell them, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's law. Just because we think we know somebody doesn't mean they know us. Just because we are friends with God doesn't mean God reciprocates. What is it? So, so if, if we want to be friends with God, how, do, how can we be confident that he will be our friend? 
How confident are we that, we, that Jesus looks at us the same way that we look at him? Now, understand this. Understand this. There is absolutely nothing in the whole world, absolutely nothing in all of creation, not even just this world, but the many, many thousands of worlds that are beyond our solar system. There's absolutely nothing in all of the created universe that can keep you from being loved by God. So I want, you to, I wanna, I want to make sure that that is understood. You could be the worst of the worst of the worst. You are still loved by God. But just because God loves you doesn't mean you're his friend. Bible tells us that we're supposed to love our enemies. Hmm. So, does that mean all of a sudden that our enemies have to now become our friend for us to love them? The idea is pretty simple. Just because God loves you doesn't mean that you are doing what he calls you to do. And being who he called you to be. On judgment day, many will say, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. That's something God wants you to do, right? And cast out demons in your name. And performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you'd get away from me. There's a story in the book of, uh, chapter 19 of the book of Acts. Um, the seven sons of Sceva. And they were going around, and they had seen Peter, and they had seen Paul, or at least heard about him, casting out demons. And so, um, in, in Jesus' name. So they were going around, and they were, they were trying to cast out demons in Jesus' name. And the demons came up to him, or, or spoke back to them, and said, Peter, we know. And Paul we know, but who are you? Who are you? And, 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 and my fear, and my fear within the church is that too many, too many of us are, are working so hard to do the right thing that we're, we're doing them for ourselves and not for God. Paul addresses this when, um, when, he's, when he says th that um, you are saved by grace through faith. Not by works. Not by what you do. Now, what we, what, what we do should be an outpouring of the love we had for God. Our works does not determine our relationship with God. Our relationship with God determines our works. So how do we how do we just how do we how do we justify this loving God and, and and not earning our salvation with having works? Does that mean that everything we do is a masquerade? No, what it comes down to is it comes down to are your works backed up by your faith? If your works proceed your faith could be a sign that you're trying to earn that faith. 
earn that salvation. If your faith precedes your works, it's a, re- it's a result, it's a flow of the love that you have for God. I've said, some, I've said some things that I've actually got flack from some people watching online. Nobody who comes to church in this building regularly really gives me any flack about what I, what I have said from the pulpit. If you've disagreed with me and haven't said so, well, come talk to me. We'll talk about it. Um, it's usually those hard sayings that I say that people have a problem with. If you never talk to God, but are are doing everything you can to to do what to, to do works of service you probably need to have a few more conversations with God because it could be that you are just doing those because they're expected and not out of love because if you don't talk to God I pretty much guarantee you if you don't talk to God you are not his friend and I know that seems harsh, and it seems uh, uh, unpastoral-like to say. What do you think? What do you think set these in Ma- these people that Jesus is talking to in Matthew chapter seven, when he says, "You prophesy in my name. That's doing something. You cast out demons in my name. That's doing something. You perform miracles in my name. That's doing something." You're doing all these things, and he says, oh, but I never knew you. It's, it, it, to really get a, a, a proper grasp on, on understanding this passage in Matthew, in Matthew chapter 7, you need to, to read what's right before. And this is, this, is, this is biblical education for you right here. Okay, if you take a verse or a couple of verses and you just quote those verses all the time and don't understand how they apply to the rest of the passage and the rest of the Bible in general, you are doing what God does not want you to do. The the famous passage, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. While I believe in that passage that God could give us the ability to do whatever he has called us to do, do you know what that specifically is referring to? Living a content life. Living a content life. Living on what God has given you and not trying to get more. So, so. We read this and we say, okay, well, how, do we, how can we know for sure if it's not from what we do, how can we know for sure what God is wanting, that we can be known by God? What is it that we have to do to be known by God? What is it to be a friend of God? It's a change of heart. Because if you read this, just before this, it talks about... A tree bearing fruit. And it says, you won't get figs from a thistle book, bush. A tree's going to bear the, the fruit that belongs on that tree. Okay, you go to an apple tree, guess what you're going to get? You go to an orange tree, 
guess what you're going to get? You go to a grape tree, or you need to go back to elementary school. You see, we, what God wants to see in us, first and foremost, isn't casting out demons and prophesying and performing miracles. What does God want? He wants to see our fruit. He wants to see us bearing the fruit of the tree that is in us. Peter, Paul talks about being grafted into the vine. So we graft into the vine, we bear the fruit of the one we're grafted into. Galatians tells us, fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, self-control. So you want to you determine if you are... Um, friends with, with God, if you're a friend with God, if you know Jesus, don't start making a list of, well, I go to church every Sunday. That's a check on my on my mind. Well, um, I, teach, I teach Sunday school every once in a while and, uh, or rainbows or, or in children's church or I, I well, we don't, we don't take up offering anymore, so ushers. But I, I, I'm a greeter. Um, you, you just go down that list. You, you list all of these things that you're involved in and you de determine how your relationship with, with God is based on all of those check marks you get. Well, I got, I checked 15 out of 16. I must be a good friend of Jesus. Whereas what he's, what he's saying here seems to imply that it is not the list of things you do, but the makeup of who you are. While patience is evident in what you do, patience defines who you are. While love is evident in what you do, love def is defined with who you are. Self-control is evident by what you do, but it comes from who you are. And in and of ourselves, what, what, what can we do? We are filthy rags. Or as, as the song said, we are graves. Everybody, before they encounter Jesus and he saves them, is simply a dead man walking. Or a dead woman walking. If you want to be politically correct. We are just... Dead bones moving around this earth. A grave, a walking grave is what we are. But because of, because of what Jesus has done, we have the opportunity to exchange the grave, the walking grave that we are, and he gives us a beautiful garden. Something we can't create on our own. And that exchange, that exchange is what puts in us our ability to love other people. That's what puts in us our ability to be at peace, not just with ourselves, and, but with other people. 
It's amazing how people who have peace within themselves are is able to create peace with other people. But people without peace within themselves, most of the time they just cause dissension amongst the people that they know. If you go down that whole list of, of fruit that he, he lists in Galatians, and you will find that every one of those things is about who we are, not what we do. They're evident in what we do, but they're about who we are. Jesus is not concerned about what you do as much as he's concerned about who you are. Because he knows who you are is eventually going to come out. He says that when he says, from, from the heart comes out the words of the mouth. So while it is important, who you know is important, there's something even, even, even greater that's a part of this whole equation. When Jeanette, her first job um, that she got with an insurance company, um, she, her first job for an insurance agent, um, she was making minimum wage, and it was a small guy. She was the only one working for him. Um, he didn't seem to have it all together, or at least his priorities were kind of misplaced, um, is what I gathered. Um, and and he, didn't, he, he told her, he said, she was making minimum wage. It was like seven twenty-five an hour, and she put. He pretty much told her. He says, "You will never work more working for an insurance agent. You will never make more than just above minimum wage." Five months later, and she was she was a service agent. That's all she did. She just serviced. She wasn't a salesperson or anything like that. So, understand the context. But within six months, she got hired on by Scott. And was making $12 an hour. Within a matter, uh, by the time she stopped working for Scott, which I guess probably would have been about four years after that, maybe five years after that, she was making $20 an hour. Now, you don't make $20 an hour working for uh, an insurance company if you don't know what you're doing, if you're not willing to put the work in, if you don't. Listen, if somebody comes works for me for $12 an hour and, and they're not putting in the work, first of all, they won't work for me for very long. So it was not just that she knew Scott or Scott knew her that gave this opportunity recently to be contacted by four or five agents. It was because not only did she know him, but he put his, his trust in, in her because she proved herself faithful. She learned what she needed to know to be a good service person in State Farm. In fact, people, would, people in the office would call her and ask her questions. Why? Because she knew what she was doing. And that's why Scott had confidence. That's why Scott now is willing to tell other agents, hey, She's free. You better grab her up before somebody else does. I like bragging on my wife. What can I say? But she had a responsibility. 
it wasn't just that she knew who Scott was or that Scott knew who she was. She proved herself. It's more than just knowing about God or believing you are a friend of God. Have we, have we earned God's trust? Have we earned God's trust? Has, has, has Jesus so infused in our life that when God says, that's the person you need to talk to, that's the person I want you to send because that's the person who's going to get the job done. I've been reading in the book of, in my, in, my, uh, in my devotion, I've been reading in the book of Revelation. And can I just say Revelations is confusing? Am I supposed to admit that as a pastor, that Revelation is confusing? It can be confusing. I mean, a dragon and a prostitute and all these beasts with different heads and eyes all over their body. I was talking with somebody, it might have been Tim, who who said, he says, I, if that's what heaven's like, I don't want to see that stuff. Um, and, I, and I can relate. But heaven is going to be a place that is beyond description. And while whether, whether the, the, the walls... And the gates that we read in, in Revelation, whether those are actual walls and gates or not walls and gates, there's a big discussion and argument about exactly how all this is going to play out. I will tell you this. I'll tell you this. The way you think it's going to be is not how it's going to be. And I can say that because we are trying to understand heaven from a perspective that is faulty and broken. When I was in high school, um, I did something really stupid, believe it or not. I did that every once in a while. And um, I threw a baseball in the direction of the car. Yes, exactly what happened, what you're thinking right now. That's ha that happened. It hit the windshield of the car. And it didn't just put this little, little you know, those little tiny cracks in the car, right? didn't put just a little tiny crack in the car because it was really, really cold outside. And you know what happens with glass when it gets really, really cold? So, I mean, there was not a square inch on that windshield that was, that was, that was not cracked anywhere. Well, we have, to, we have to drive it down to the store to get something. Have you ever driven in a completely cracked you're doing this number. Finally, you just get fed up, and you don't care how cold it is. You roll the window down, and you're driving like this, right? That's how we're trying to view heaven, through this cracked glass, and you're catching glimpse of things here and there. So you kind of know you're on the right course, but you just don't have a clear vision of it. There are, there are two things that I know 
for sure that are non-debated in Scripture. The first one is that God is going to be there. He's going to rule and reign. His glory is going to be the light. That is undebated. The second thing is that we will have absolutely no worries in heaven. Which means, which means there's not going to be any sorrow. There's not going to be any pain. For the past, I don't know, probably about a month, I've had a pain in my muscle right here. And I don't know what, I must have done something. I'll be glad when that's gone. Heaven, it won't be there. You get a stiff back when you climb out of bed, guess what? Well, first of all, you won't need to sleep in heaven. I know some of you guys were expecting a long nap, but heaven is going to be this amazing place. And I just, I'm just, just want to make sure you understand that it's available to you, and you don't want to miss out. These people in Matthew chapter seven seem to be doing all the right things, and they're missing out. So I don't know, maybe, maybe somebody's watching online and they're like, well, I, I definitely don't want to miss out. So what do, I, what do I need to do? It was real simple. Realize that you're a fallen, a fallen person, that you've sinned, and there's no way you can make it on your own. Jesus came as a baby, for unto us a child is born, a son is given. And that he has this wonderful place for us if we will accept his Free, his free offer, his free gift. And what he does is he chooses to take the place of all of your bad stuff. And then all he asks in return is that you follow in his footsteps. You persevere, you follow in his footsteps, you, you, you love them best that you know how. Love him the best that you know how. And he's got a, a wonderful place awaiting you. So, yes. Is it about who you know? It is. And unfortunately, a lot of people are getting rich off of who they know. And they're bad people. But that's not going to happen in heaven. So it starts with who you know, but it doesn't stop there. It goes on to who knows you. Are you known by God? Does he see the love, the peace, the patience, self-control? Does he see that in you and coming out of you? If not, maybe you need to say, hey, God, I need some of that. I want a little bit more of that. I have to do it regularly because sometimes I'm just... Sometimes I'm pretty patient, but sometimes I'm not very loving. I try to be, but sometimes I say things um, that's not very loving. And it's not that I have ill intent by any means. It's just I'm not very compassionate sometimes. And God's working with me. He, every once in a while, he slaps me around. And he shows me how to be loving, like when 
Pastor Crystal came and gave my wife a hug, and I should have. He'll work with you on these things. But it's your choice. It's your decision. And it's not dependent on what other people do. Listen, if my life, if my value depended on what other people did, probably would have ended my life a long time ago. Because there were a lot of people who were really mean to me and really bad to me. So your love doesn't depend on whether somebody else reciprocates that love. Your, your peace doesn't depend on how other people treat you. Your self-control isn't dependent on whether somebody else has self-control. And I'm not talking about self-control in eating cookies, okay? That's not what I'm talking about. But it's a lot easier to not eat cookies if people don't bring them to you. Not that I want anybody to not bring me cookies. Don't get that. Don't take that the wrong way. Again, all of this comes from within. Jesus puts it in us. And he, he'll cause it to grow. And it'll be evident as it grows within us. And one day... When your fight and your struggle on earth is over, all of those things that you've been working so hard at, all of the fruit that you've been so, so hard, it's been hard, you've been working at it, and sometimes you fail, but Jesus forgives you, all of that, that, that fruit that you've worked so hard at producing, when you get to heaven, will flourish. And you know what that will be? That will be your offering to Jesus. For a child is born to us, a son is given. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. The question is, is is he going to be your wonderful counselor? Is he going to be your mighty God? Is he going to be your everlasting father? And is he going to be your prince of peace? I pray that he is. Stand with me as we close in prayer. Jesus, you came as a child. To bring something no other man can bring. To give us something we couldn't earn on our own. To be the person that we couldn't be. And to give up what we couldn't. A perfect sacrifice. Lord, and we just ask right now that you would look into our hearts. You would see us for who we are. Lord, and that when you look in us, you would see a friend. That we would be called your friend. That you would cause us to be more like you. 
the fruit within our lives to grow, that one day will be an offering to you. That you will see the mistakes and forgive them. That you would see the faults and remove them. That you would see the love and cause it to grow. We want not just to know who you are, but we also want to be known by you. We want to be called your friend. Show us how to do that. We love you the best we know how. And we ask all of this in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. I love you guys. We'll look forward to seeing you this Wednesday for our Christmas party. Food and then gift exchange. Be blessed.